The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Born to be Breastfed with your host, Marie Biancuso. Our program aims to help you bust through the breastfeeding myths and ensure you and your baby enjoy the breastfeeding journey. Over the next hour, we'll help you figure out how to overcome the obstacles you might encounter and how to incorporate breastfeeding into your busy life. Now, here is your host, Marie Biancuso. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuso. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have a very exciting guest. I know you will be interested to hear Jennifer Grayson. Jennifer is an environmental journalist, Huffington Post columnist, and the author of Unlatched, The Evolution of Breastfeeding and the Making of a Controversy, published by HarperCollins, 2016. Jennifer's articles have appeared in the Washington Post, the Los Angeles Times, USA Today, and American Baby. A leading expert on environmental issues, she has been featured in, uh, excuse me, by MSNBC, WGN, and NPR, as well as numerous online outlets and blogs. As a columnist for HuffPost, Green, she contributed more than 100 articles to the site via her popular Innovation Earth, and Eco-Adequate columns. Jennifer has also been featured and quoted in articles for Slate, Entrepreneur, Self, Discovery.com, Baby Center, Moms Rising, Well Plus Good, Earth 911, and more. And of course, today she's being featured on our show. Jennifer lives in uh, Los Angeles with her screenwriter husband and two young daughters, and works to restore our vanishing connection to the natural world. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Marie. What a a nice introduction. (laughs) Well, it's all true. Uh, Jennifer, I'm very impressed by all of your your, uh, accomplishments, and certainly by your book. My question is, what on earth got you to first go on your journey tra- towards writing Unlatched? Um, well, you know, this was a book I really never imagined that I would write. I was exclusively formula fed as a baby, and I really never even thought about breastfeeding until I was pregnant with my first daughter. Um, and to be honest, I was, you know, I was a little hesitant about the commitment involved in breastfeeding. I knew that it was the right thing to do. Um, I obviously had covered environmental issues and was, you know, knew about the industrialization of our food system and was very interested in pesticides and all of these things. And I knew it was the best thing to do, but at the same time, you know, that exclusive six months sounded really a little bit daunting for me. And so, yeah, you know, (laughs) But it was really at that time, at the same time, I suddenly realized, hey, I was formula fed as a baby. 
I had never really realized that before. And I have actually had a lifetime of chronic health issues, unfortunately. And I started to just really think about that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love what you said about the commitment, because honestly, Jennifer, that is what it's about. It's, I, I often tell people breastfeeding is not an event. It's not like something you can just cross off your to-do list. It is a connection. It's a commitment. And I, I guess I try hard not to preach that six months is what you've got to do in order to be authentic or successful or whatever that word is. But, you know, I think that in our efforts to help women to breastfeed, what we've said is this exclusive six months thing. And for some people, that's that's a little spooky. Now, I want to go back to a couple of things. First of all, what made you title this book Unlatched? Well, like you said in my intro, I have just had a, a lifelong fascination with our disconnection to the natural world. And that's really, that's one of the reasons why I started writing about environmental issues. And so when I was thinking about this book, and because, you know, I'm fascinated by history and different cultures and anthropology and, and this disconnection to our natural world, I, I really saw breastfeeding fitting into that picture, right? Like, how did, yeah. we con- how did we disconnect from what really is a biological process? And so unlatched obviously just seemed like once I found the word, I was like, oh, that's it. That's and it. Yeah. <laughs> I came up with it when I did the proposal and usually, you know, as an author, the, the titles usually get changed by the time you get to the publication. Oh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> oh, believe me. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know you know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, this was the title. I mean, this was like, I was writing the proposal. I found it. HarperCollins loved it. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, to me, that disconnection there is very pervasive in all that you've had to say in your book. And, you know, pretty much all that you've said elsewise. I want to go back to the part about being an environmental journalist and being an environmental expert along with that. Jennifer, one of the things that's probably the most bothersome to me is that we talk about the benefits of breastfeeding. I'm not sure that that's real useful. We don't talk very much about the risks of formula, which I think would actually be more useful. But I very seldom hear anything about all of the stuff that is generated from formula feeding. I mean, how many cans, how many tins, how many nipples, how many blah, 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 blah. Doesn't that sort of add to our environmental burden? Can you address that? Because if you can't, I don't know who can. (laughs) That's a great question. And actually, that was one going to be a chapter in the original book, um, in the proposal, because I don't, no one has really considered it from this (laughs) Right. From a sustainability standpoint, right? We're on this planet. We've got 7 billion people and counting. We're going to have 10 billion people possibly by the year 2100. And what does it mean that every time a child needs to be fed? You're right. There is not only, you know, the bottles and the cans, but what about all of the energy in growing all of the ingredients that go into those, into the formula and then the processing. And then, you know, you start adding it up and it's really, it's not sustainable when you look at the scale at which most, you know, the the majority of of infants now are not being nursed for that first exclusive six months, globally speaking. I think it's around, what, 40% are... It it depends on who you ask and how you count, but it's certainly not anywhere close to 100%. Right, right. And so, yeah, it is this fascinating angle that, that I really did want to explore, but 
because I also at the same time um, wanted to make this a book for really all moms and especially all American moms, I didn't want to really alienate anyone with this oh, well, you should breastfeed because you're destroying the planet if you don't. I mean, women have enough problems. <laughs> women have enough problems in this country successfully breastfeeding anyway. So I, I resolved myself that I would probably write an, an article about it in the future. But thanks okay. for reading that question because you're actually the first person who's asked me about it. Well, I just always find it very fascinating that we don't uh, we don't really talk about that. There aren't any good statistics on it, but somewhere in my small brain, I can just see all of this stuff piling up in a landfill somewhere. And it just doesn't feel to me like that's a good thing to do when every time that we throw out a Coke bottle or something or other, we're all thinking, oh, whoops, should have thrown that in recycling. Oh, whoops, probably should have gotten that from some other means. And so it just seems to me like that should add to the the argument for why you want to breastfeed. And I'm really interested in your word of sustainable, because I guess maybe we hear so much about that nowadays as pertaining to food. And so isn't formula food? And the answer is yes. And so has anybody really taken that on? And I think the answer is no. Uh, no. And, and, you know, we really don't, what's interesting is as all of these, um, really prominent food activists have started writing about the industrialization of our food system, like Michael Pollan with the omnivores dilemma and Michael Moss who wrote salt, sugar, fat. And Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And Michael Moss actually endorsed my book. And one of the reasons he did is because we're not really looking, we kind of forget that this industrialization of our food system extends to what's happening with the way we feed our young. So it's part of that picture that we've sort of forgotten. And, And actually when I was a mom to be, I had forgotten about it too. I had, you kind of just think, oh, breast milk or formula, like these are two equivalent things, but they're not. Uh, they're not. And we're not looking at that connection. And that was one of the things that I really wanted to explore. Jennifer, you just gave me a perfect in to ask my next question. And that's, what was your own breastfeeding experience like? Yeah. It was definitely not like most uh, people's breastfeeding experience. Well, first of all, I had... It was like many mothers' uh, experiences in that I did have a very difficult time in the beginning. Um, you know, we, te- we tend to think that it's going to be this natural, easy thing. And as you know from your work, it's while the baby is born with an instinctive suckling reflex, it's a learned cultural experience, biological process on the part of the mother. And so I had horrible pain and um you know, the, really the only reason I was successful in the beginning is because I gave birth at a Kaiser Permanente hospital here in Los Angeles that had free access to lactation consultants. And at the time, if I had had to hire a lactation consultant, we, we wouldn't have been able to afford it. So I always say that, you know, if it hadn't been for Kaiser, thank goodness for them, this book wouldn't have been written because I never would have been successful breastfeeding. Um, Woo-hoo! Two thumbs yeah. up for Kaiser Permanente. <laughs> yay, yay, Kaiser and baby-friendly hospitals and lactation consultants. But, you know, as I, the other thing that was unusual about my experience is that I wound up nursing my children far longer than not only I had ever planned, but also far longer than really anyone I had ever known because I was a work-from-home mom and it really just made my life easy. And so I wound up nursing my oldest until she was just before four, and I'm still nursing my little one who is three and a half. Jennifer, would it be fair for me to say that you found that connection? Oh, of course. Yeah. And, yeah. and really, that's, 
that's one of the things that the book is about too. It's that this is a this isn't just a way to feed your child. This is right. This is the most fundamental human connection between a mother and her child. And I know that not every I know that not every mom nursing feels that way. Look, I know it can be, trust me, I'm a, I'm a mom too. And I'm a working mom. I know it can be annoying sometimes when like you're trying to cook dinner and your baby's like, you know, me milk. too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that was something that I felt from the very beginning when I was in the hospital. I, when I first gave birth to my older daughter, Isabel, it, it just astounded me that I was in this hospital with you know, medical equipment all around me. People were texting pictures of my newborn across the country. And I live in LA where you can't even see the stars at night. And yet here I was feeding my child exactly how women have done since the dawn of humanity. And I know that sounds super trippy and like, you know, but I really really did have, I was like, it just really took my breath away. Truly. Well, I wanted to pick up for the benefit of our, our listeners that you are the mother who started out saying, oh, that six months, oh, that's a lot of commitment. Ooh, you know, I'm not really sure if I can make that commitment. But yet you exceeded your own expectations, aspirations, whatever. And it is my personal philosophy that once you make that connection, that that just changes your whole head. Because some woman said it to me, and I can't remember now if it was somebody that said it on the air, or maybe a course I was teaching last week, where she said, my whole body just felt differently. And I had a different understanding of what I was doing in this world. Jennifer, do not go away. And all of you who are listening, do not go away. I will be back with author Jennifer Grayson right after these short words. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you, too. 
Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed, where every week we bust the myths and clarify the facts about breastfeeding. And today I have with me author and guest Jennifer Grayson. Jennifer, before we went to break, you were talking about what women have done since the dawn of civilization or the dawn of history or whatever you you said there. Talk to us a little bit about what that means for you. Do you mean how, like, in terms of how I think about sure history and uh, yeah, well, you know, I, what it means for me? I guess, I guess, I've just been one of those people who always sort of felt a little bit out of place um, in the current time period that I live in, and okay. so since I was a little girl, um, wherever I went, and especially when I was somewhere surrounded by nature, I always sort of think, well, what would, what would this have been like a hundred years ago? What would it have oh. been like a thousand years ago? What would it have been yeah. like a million years ago? And I've, I've always just been fascinated in that long lens of history and, and really how brief it is that human beings have not only been on earth, but also that we've lived the way we've lived, right? That we live with electricity and, and we don't have to hunt for our food and that we, <laughs> we have all these modern conveniences. And so, yeah, I mean, just looking at the past hundred years and how rapidly humanity changed and how really fits into that picture. Um, Mm -hmm. and how also so many of us don't realize that the way we do things now is so different from the way we've always done it. Like we tend to live in this little cultural bubble, right. That we forget about the, we forget about our ancestors. And so that, you know, that's really something I've always been interested in. And it was a real driving force for the book. Like, how do we turn biology into controversy? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's a really good question. So, Jennifer, here's a question that I get quite frequently from people who are religious. And you sort of, ad- you did address this in your book. Uh, the question I hear is, well, how was baby Jesus fed? And I believe that you have a whole chapter on that. Uh, what would baby Jesus drink actually was the name of your chapter. Right. Uh, to, to me, it's so obvious. I just think to myself, well, I think that we all agree that the historical Jesus was born some 2,000 years ago. And as far as I know, there were not any Walmarts or, or, or Walgreens or whatever that we could 
purchase formula at 2,000 years ago. So to me, that's such an obvious answer. Talk to us a little bit about what you have in that chapter. Right. Well, it's interesting. So you're saying that some of your clients actually ask that question like they yeah. really know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. They, they, they seem to think that somehow there was some other alternative or I'm not sure what. But to me, it's just so obvious that we did not have the technological prowess to make formula 2,000 years ago. And even if we did, how would we have shelved it and marketed it? And uh, 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 it's just mind-boggling to me. So Yeah. Well, no, no, you're right. You're right. Because I, I do see a lot online a lot of the time people saying, well, they're, you know, women used to come up with all sorts of substitutes for breastfeeding before modern formula. And that, that's, that's true. That's true. But, but the other side of it is that most of those kids died. died. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. Because before, before pasteurization and you're talking before refrigeration, this was basically like a recipe for disaster. disaster. Absolutely. And, right. Right. So when you're looking at the time of Jesus and, and ancient religions, you know, ancient re- religions were very aware that the difference between breastfeeding and not breastfeeding wasn't, it wasn't just like a nice thing to do. It was the difference between life and death. Absolutely. And so I, one of the things I looked at, um, even though the chapter is what would baby Jesus drink, I, I looked at ancient Judaism, um, partly because I'm Jewish. And so I was interested in what were those ancient laws. And partly because I lived in this part of Los Angeles at the time that had, was a very orthodox neighborhood and my next door neighbor uh, was about to have her ninth child. Yeah. And I started wondering, and you know, she had observed all these laws and customs that really date back to Talmudic times, which are, you know, like the, depending on who you ask, but really like the 1400s, the 1500s, and even before that, dating back to biblical times, a lot of these laws uh, go back that far. And so I started wondering, like, what did people do back then? It, and was she following laws that dated back to those times. Oh, I'm curious. So? <laughs> so, yeah. So what was amazing, and and obviously not all, Orthodox Jews live very modern lives in a lot of ways. I mean, these are working women. These are women who are doctors and lawyers and everything else. But she had actually nursed every single one of her child, children for a minimum of two years. Yeah. Eight children. And um, and ancient Judea, ancient Jewish law actually dictates that women breastfeed for a minimum of 18 months. Um, really? Up until five years. Yeah, because if, if you had stopped breastfeeding before then, then your baby probably would not have had the best chance at survival. So I'm not very familiar with Judaism, but I know that there are some 613 laws or some such thing. Is that where I would find the directive to breastfeed my baby from 18 months to five years? Um, well, a lot of it comes from the, the Talmud. Um, but, you know, if you look at really so what was so interesting as I started going through all of, of the passages describing God, and this isn't, this is also true for Christianity. If you look through the Bible, a lot of, a lot of when they're talking about God, they refer to God, the analogy they use for the love that God shows um, oh. is mm. a mother's, you know, the, the way yeah. that a mother takes an infant to, to, her breast. Yes, and that's yes. the analogy. And that was really the analogy for Christianity too. So that was the other fascinating thing I looked at. Um, art when I looked at art history and most of the the art depicting baby Jesus was at his mother's breast, was at the nursing Madonna. Right. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So when you well, when, go ahead, please. Sorry, Marie. Uh, no, I was just thinking even outside of a religious context, we frequently use the phrase the milk of human kindness. Right. So as I was hearing you talking, I was thinking about our whole concept of how this is a good and nurturing and and wonderful thing. Right. Or or the land of milk and honey, right? Milk or, and honey. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this was this was the ultimate nurturing um, life-giving substance. And ancient religions didn't do that because of a moral directive. They didn't in- imbue this sense and awe around milk because they thought it was the right thing to do. They did it because it was essential to survival. And they recognized that. And they, rec- they recognized that. And um, yeah, and we've, we've really lost that connection. If you take a look at the average uh, crash, right? Around Christmas time. Right. Do, you, do we ever see Jesus nursing? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Good right. point. I mean, Jesus probably didn't sleep in a manger. He probably slept uh, close to yep. Mary. Yep. You know, <laughs> they probably slept like on a clump of hay. Right. <laughs> Obviously, I'm not an expert, so I don't know. But this is the way most people, that's how most people lived at that time. So why should so, they have been different? We have taken maybe these thousands of year old images and we've altered the images to suit ourselves in a way that we understand what mothering or feeding or sleeping is about. But that's not necessarily the way it was. So, Jennifer, how do you think that we got, let me preface this a little bit. Sometimes I think, for example, If I'm on the treadmill or the elliptical machine or whatever, and I'm sweating so hard that the drops of sweat will drop on the floor, I think to myself, this is probably the way it's supposed to be. We're probably supposed to sweat out our toxins as well as eat our uh, antioxidants and so forth. And so I guess I'm just sort of wondering, how, how is it that we have not made the connection that breastfeeding is, as you said several times in your book and probably in this interview already, something to the effect of it's a public health imperative. How are we not making this connection when we sh- when the uh, when the ancient people could make that? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I think they had it figured out. They they did have it figured out, and they did it out of necessity. But you know, today we don't have to breastfeed out of necessity. Um, there is this alternative and modern life and also the way that our society is structured makes it so difficult for mothers to successfully nurse that, you know, I, I think we just, we're sort of kidding ourselves. We're, we're not looking at it as this public health imperative because I don't know. I, I don't know if it's that we don't have to, or we're just, too overwhelmed, really, with everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting. As you were writing the book, what would you say were some of the most surprising things that you uncovered? Well, one of the most surprising things, and this directly goes back to the question you, you just asked about how we came to this disconnect, um, was when people stopped really breastfeeding, when people moved away from the breast and started moving toward formula. And, and, you know, I always thought that happened like in the post-World War II baby boom. Oh, no, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, but I, I, and I think a lot of 
lay people, people who aren't lactation consultants or weren't, didn't know a lot about the history, thought that this is when it happened. And, and it didn't. I was astonished to find out that this really happened at the, before the turn of the last century, in the yep. 1860s, the 1880s, when you had the industrialization of America. Um, yeah, and so and it wasn't the formula companies that came up with this great product and all of a sudden women were like, oh, this is convenient. I don't have to feed my baby anymore. No, it was it was the opposite. Women all of a sudden had to work in factories. And like my great grandmother, they came over from Russia and they were separated from the women who would have taught them how to breastfeed in in generations past. And all of a sudden they either didn't know how to breastfeed or they weren't producing enough milk for their babies because they were separated from them because of the new demands of work. And they started experimenting with alternatives on their own. Children were dying in record numbers. And then... Then formula came as a result of that. And so that was, for me, that was stunning. And by the way, for those of you who are listening, I just want to say this is another whole disconnect here that Jennifer has identified. It's that the women were disconnected from other women. Now, do not go away. I'm Marie Biancuso, and we will be right back after this short break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Was your breastfeeding experience stressful or challenging? Did you face an unusual obstacle and go on to meet your goals? If so, we'd like to hear from you, and so would other mothers. Email radio at borntobebreastfed.com to see if you can be Marie's next guest. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuso? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuso, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuso or her guest on today's program... 
please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuto. I'm here today with author Jennifer Grayson. She has written the book, Unlatched, The Evolution of Breastfeeding and the Making of a Controversy. Jennifer, I only gave you a brief chance to talk about the surprising things that you uncovered about the history of breastfeeding. And then I kind of shut you off so we could go to break. Were there other things that really surprised you as you were diving into this whole content? Well, certainly when I started talking to lactation scientists and their research about human bil- milk, excuse me, um, the thing that just blew me away was how little we know about human milk. I, I had just always assumed that we hear that breast is best and that formula is an alternative, but I didn't know that breast milk isn't a food with an easy equivalent. The lactation scientists, as they started talking about it, this is, this is a human tissue, Almost yeah. like blood, right? Um, well, it's made from blood. And, yeah. And, but I, th- I, I think what you're saying is it's not like you just compile the carrots and the chicken and the noodles and the whatnot and smoosh it all together and make milk. That's not what it is. No, not at all. And, yeah. <laughs> and so you, you've got bioactive molecules and hormones and um, microorganisms and, and thousands of things we actually haven't even uncovered yet because we haven't even mapped what's in human milk. That, was, that blew me away more than anything, that we fully mapped the human genome, scientists mapped the human genome 10 years ago, don't know what's in breast milk. <laughs> yes, and if uh, listeners remember, we had uh, Dr. Jennifer Thomas on the show talking about the epigenetics of breastfeeding, and she talked to us about how there is DNA in the human milk, but the DNA is not my word, not hers, stagnant. She talked about how the DNA genes can be expressed or not expressed, that is turned on or turned off. And that's still part of that whole mystery thing that just blows my mind of all the things that science knows. We really have a fairly limited understanding of what human milk really is and what it can do. Is that the is that sort of the... Uh, surprise that you came away with? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I started to wonder, so why, why aren't we talking about this more? Why are we saying breast is best? Why aren't we saying just that, that human milk is this profound thing? I mean, as a mom, I, I found that really empowering that like, yeah. oh my, God, my, my body makes this. Like, this is <laughs> I think we should be talking about that more. Why are we dumbing it down? Well, I think you just hit it right there because I was going to say, I think that we dumb it down. And I also think that a lot of times I, as a nurse, feel like when I promise somebody these benefits of breastfeeding, benefits of breastfeeding, benefits of breastfeeding, well, you know, first of all, those benefits of breastfeeding don't work very well when the baby has four slurps of of the mother's milk, okay? It's really got to be exclusive and extended for a period of time. Now, what exactly that is, I'm not sure that we've got that exactly nailed. Ask 10 different experts, you'll get 10 different uh, responses. But I think it's totally unfair to promise mothers, oh, your kid won't have allergies and he won't have diarrhea and he won't have uh, you know, obesity or whatever it is. It's entirely unfair to promise people that when 
they've really got to be doing more than, as I like to say, just four slurps of breastfeeding. That just does not cut it. So, Jennifer, what about this? You talk in your book about other cultures around the world. How do you think that breastfeeding or the woman's role in breastfeeding or the woman's uh, perception of her ability to breastfeed, how do you think that shakes out in different cultures? Can you give us some examples? Oh, sure. Well, just getting back to the idea of being connected to who we always were as humans, I really found as I started looking at different cultures, the cultures that live closest to the way human beings have always lived, meaning they're not industrialized, westernized countries, they kind of view breasts pretty normally. So, and they also view the length of time that women are supposed to nurse, biologically speaking, um, pretty normally too. So one of the countries I was fascinated by was Mongolia. And one of the reasons I was fascinated by Mongolia is not only because um, I actually had a Mongolian neighbor when my baby was little, um, my first child, but also because I had stumbled across this article in Mothering Magazine that I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with, uh, written by a writer named Ruth Kamnitzer. And she had been living in, she's, she's, a Canadian and had been living in the UK and she uh-huh. was living in Mongolia doing research when she had her babies. And she was just talking about how positive the culture was around breastfeeding there. Like everyone breastfed people. If a mom wasn't around, they would like breastfeed their friend's kid. It was just yeah. like this totally open, encouraging society. There was really no sexualization around breasts. Um, in and other that, words, it was normal. Yeah. In other words, it was normal. Yeah. Uh, and no one would really ever, no one would really ever shy away from seeing a woman nursing her child, like we do in modern societies, where we kind of think that breasts need to be hidden away. And right. so, I know this is a generalization, but generally speaking, as I moved around to different countries, um, you know, there are countries that are rapidly developing that all of a sudden have to deal with the encroachment of formula advertising. And so they've started to doubt their ability to successfully nurse their children, but they still have very normal attitudes about what breasts are for. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, As you were talking, I was thinking about one time, I was teaching a course and some lactation consultant wannabe who was sitting in the course kept raising this question about inadequate milk supply, inadequate milk supply, inadequate milk supply. Well, I get it. That's a big issue here in the U.S. I get it. But I, there was a woman there who had spent 20 years working in South Africa. And I turned to her finally and I said to her, in South Africa, how do they actually handle inadequate milk supply or is there actually a phrase for that? And she chuckled a little bit and she said, oh, Marie, in South Africa, there's not even a phrase for inadequate milk supply. And yeah, I hear you saying kind of the same thing about uh, Mongolia, that everybody does it. Everybody assumes there's going to be enough milk. Everybody assumes the baby's going to grow. And, you know, it kind of makes me wonder how much self-sabotaging do we be, do we do? And I'm not trying to blame women. I'm just trying to say that Henry Ford might have had it right when he said, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. 
So I, I think that we put these thoughts into women's minds and in other cultures where breastfeeding is much more normal. I don't think we see that. Talk to us also about a chapter that you have t- titled uh, Breasts Are for Men. Right. Well, <laughs> that chapter came from actually my mom, who was quite the sport as I uh, worked through writing this book because uh-huh. I, was, <laughs> I was exclusively formula fed as a baby, as I said before. And you know, this was kind of another disconnect in my own childhood because my mom was always intensely interested in nutrition and making everything from scratch. I mean, I had a very like old fashioned upbringing. My mom baked bread from scratch. She was always like, go play nice. outside in the fresh air. She oh, was very nice. much like, get eight hours of sleep a night or when I was little, much more. Um, okay. And I was like, wait, so wh- why was I exclusively formula fed again? Didn't fit. Yeah, it didn't yeah, fit. It totally didn't fit. And as I started talking to her about it, it became clear after a couple uncomfortable conversations that, you know, there had, eh, the short way to say this is that my father really thought that breasts were, the, my mom's breasts were his. Yeah, yeah. I, I explore this a little bit more delicately uh, in the chapter, but yeah, so that that's really why I started looking at this issue and and how my mom you know, how this really clouded her judgment about why she chose not to breastfeed breastfeed us because she really did want to. Um, So yeah, and and it was fascinating to me to look at how did that happen, right? How did we first sexualize breasts and how did we first get this idea that breasts are for advertising beer and cars? Right, right, right. (laughs) And skimpy bikinis. Jennifer, uh, not to put your mother on the spot here, but can you talk to us a little bit about that clouding of judgment? Because there are two things I see. I see either the woman or the man who says flat out breasts are for men, or they don't say it, but you kind of know that that's what's going on in the background. Uh, How does this cloud their vision and how do we help them through it? How do we help them through it? Right. Well, first of all, I, no one ever said, I mean, my, my father's and I, I'm, I don't really talk to my father, but he never, I know that he never said they're for me. I mean, this sure. is just such an sure. embedded cultural idea that right. most people aren't even aware of it. And right. also this was a different time. I was born in 1979. My mom graduated high school in 1971. She was kind of sandwiched between this 1950s, 60s housewife generation and like women's lib. And she didn't quite really get to the women's lib part until after her divorce from my father. So, you know, she very much, whatever my father said sort of went. And when he had reservations about breastfeeding, just because there were these embedded cultural ideas that it wasn't the right thing to do. And he hadn't connected that to the sexualization part of it. She Mm. just sort of said, okay. Um, But looking at the modern time that we live in now and how that's still very much a part you know, I, that was something I experienced with my own husband and he had a really hard time with me breastfeeding in public, Ah. but he he didn't know why. And it wasn't until I started writing the book that he realized why he was so uncomfortable with it. Yeah. And I just want to point out to our listeners that Jennifer lives in California, which is typically much more uh, laid back about the breastfeeding stuff than we are here on the East coast. Jennifer is married to a screenwriter whom I would presume to be a lot more, uh, uh, progressive, shall we say, in his thought processes than perhaps somebody that's, uh, I don't know, more of a numbers or accountant type of person that's um, 
uh, maybe a little more conservative. So I just find that really interesting. And clearly, there's no real answer to this. But I think we really need to be aware, because once again, we're still talking about the disconnect here, that he's not connecting what he's thinking about, but there clearly is uh, an issue. Hey, everybody, don't go back. Don't don't go away. I mean, don't go away. Uh, Jennifer and I will be right back after this short break. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What's the weirdest place I've ever done it? Probably at my niece's high school musical during intermission. I've done it on an airplane. In our minivan while his mother was driving. Hi, Mom. What's the weirdest place I've ever pumped? Probably the car dealership. In the bathroom at my sister's wedding. Finding a good place to pump can be hard. Donating breast milk is easy. No matter where you've pumped, you'd make a good donor to the Mother's Milk Bank at Austin. Learn how your milk can save lives at milkbank.org slash good donor. Do you enjoy listening to Marie Biancuzo? Do you think your staff would enjoy listening to Marie? As the past president of Baby Friendly USA, Marie currently offers baby-friendly training programs, online only, live only, or a combination of live and online education. If you are tired of listening to a boring lecture in a dark room, watching bullet point slides with a brief chance for questions at the end, come and enjoy a truly interactive learning online or live program with Marie. Call Marie today at 703-787-9894 to find an option that works for your staff. Breastfeeding Outlook, owned and operated by Marie Biancuzo, is America's premier provider of breastfeeding education. If you're a nurse, lactation consultant, dietitian, midwife, physician, doula, or other professional, Breastfeeding Outlook is your source for SERPs, nursing contact hours, and CEUs to meet your certification or licensure requirements in all 50 states. Join Marie at a seminar in one of many U.S. cities or learn online. Marie has helped thousands to pass the IBLCE exam on the first try, and she can help you too. Call to find out how to get an easy payment plan for Marie's IBLCE exam prep course. And if your hospital is seeking the baby-friendly hospital designation, we can help you with that too through expert training and value-based consultation. We have a variety of packages to meet your needs without breaking your budget. Sign up for a live or online course or inquire about training today. Please visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. Evidence for your practice starts here. Visit breastfeedingoutlook.com or call us at 703-787-9894. You're listening to Born to be Breastfed. To reach Marie Biancuzo or her guest on today's program, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to radio at borntobebreastfed.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm Marie Biancuzo. I'm your host for Born to be Breastfed. I'm here today with author Jennifer Grayson. Jennifer, in your book, Unlatched, The Evolution of Breastfeeding and the Making of a Controversy, you talk about shaming mothers. And so I guess I wanted to ask you, how do we talk about breastfeeding without 
shaming mothers because that's always kind of the accusation that I get, which is, well, you can't make these mothers feel guilty. You can't make these mothers feel uh, uh, shameful. So uh, what say you? (laughs) Well, interestingly, you know, I, I actually didn't get to write that much about it in the book. But what's happened is as I've been doing all the publicity for the book, I suddenly realized I can't talk about anything in the book without getting just like a slew of comments. Like even people who don't read the article are just saying, well, stop talking about this. I tried to breastfeed and, you know, you're Uh, awful and you're making me feel bad. And and, uh, here we go. Yeah, here we go. And so I, you know, I've been thinking a lot about why do we have this problem and, and really what it all boils down to is that we've sort of set up, not sort of, we have set up the situation in our society where we are promoting breast is best with really a complete lack of support for women to be able to successfully do so, most women to be able to do so. And so there is this real pushback of like, we can't talk about anything about breastfeeding because so many women are unsuccessful. And why aren't we talking about the fact that so many women are unsuccessful? Why aren't we talking about the fact that you know, 81% of women in the U.S. now start out breastfeeding and only 23% of them can exclusively breastfeed for six months. Like, let's talk about why so many women feel like they're being shamed. To me, that's like the real issue. So let me ask you this. Do you think we do an adequate amount of talking about the risks of formula? No, we don't. I, I, mean, I, I want to go back to the book on sugar, fat, and uh, salt, although I think I just said that in the wrong uh, order. Salt, but, sugar, fat, yeah. Yeah, but, but isn't that the same idea? Have we really given enough uh, emphasis to... Uh, we, we all know that people are motivated to do a good thing or people are motivated to avoid a bad thing. So have we done enough talking about the the risks of formula or do you think that the formula folks and the industry folks have sort of muzzled us? Yeah, yeah, you know, you're absolutely right. We do not shirk from talking about obesity because we're right. afraid of offending overweight people. Sorry, I need to be blunt. <laughs> it's the same thing here. Why, why are we afraid to talk about breastfeeding as a critical public health issue? Because right. we're afraid of, of shaming mothers who can't. We, we have to start reframing the conversation. And I know this sounds harsh, but we have to start. We have to stop talking about the benefits of breastfeeding. Right. And we have to start talking about the fact that human milk is the human norm and that there are risks to not breastfeeding. Well, Jennifer, um, did, did anyone ever say to you, oh, look, Ms. Grayson, you know, it's okay to just put your kid wherever you want to in the car. You don't really have to use a, a car seat. Oh, gee, you know, your kid is seven years old. He doesn't really have to have a helmet on. You, you know, we don't want to make you feel like a bad mother if you don't make him use a helmet. Oh, gee, you know, you can put him in any uh, position you want to to sleep. We have just gone ape nuts over that back to sleep campaign. And And I'm not saying that those things are bad. I'm saying nobody accuses us of shaming a mother into doing the right thing. And yet, with the breastfeeding bit, somehow if we talk about it, then we're shaming her into doing the right thing. Exactly. Exactly. But I think the other important thing to look at is who's responsible for the messaging. And so when you look at formula companies, you are talking about the best marketing minds in the entire world. and billions of dollars funding them and we have wonderful wonderful people working to support breastfeeding but sorry like we're they're not 
at the top like advertising agencies in the country. And so why don't we uh, why don't we start advertising breast milk? Why don't we start putting some real funding behind changing that messaging and getting some experts to really tweak that message because it's important. And that's that's actually what they did in Vietnam. They started advertising breast milk. They didn't spend as much as the formula companies and you know what it did? It suddenly started to it really started to bump up breastfeeding rates and all of a sudden women started believing that they were capable of breastfeeding and they started not believing all of the formula company advertising. And was that done, Jennifer, through uh, the radio or the billboards or the mothering magazine or whatever the Vietnamese, uh, you know, like, like how was, what was the media through which they did that primarily? Uh, it was multimedia. And actually this is, this was a Gates Foundation funded initiative, oh, uh-huh, an organization uh-huh. called Alive and Thrive. So you're talking about like the top minds in public health who have seen, they've been to every country and they've tackled infant, you know, young child feeding everywhere. And yeah, it was a multimedia campaign. They accompanied it with legislative action. So at the same time, they were help helping to support breastfeeding through these messages on the radio and on television. They also bumped up maternity leave um, to six months. And they also got rid of formula advertising um, up until the age of two. And so they, they tackled it on all fronts. And what happened was just just remarkable and i i was like why can't the gates foundation fund something in the u.s oh right they should Jennifer, we only have a few minutes left. Before we go, I'd like to know, why should somebody be reading your book as opposed to all of the other, I can't, I, I, like I don't have enough shelves lately to keep the breastfeeding books that I own. Uh, t- tell me, why should people be compelled to read your book? <laughs> um, well, one of the reasons I wrote the book is because as a new mom, I was looking at what was out there. There was a lot of advice about how to breastfeed. There are a lot of breastfeeding experts out there. I'm not a breastfeeding expert. I'm an expert on the denormalization of breastfeeding and the fascinating, <laughs> right, the fascinating history that most people aren't aware of and all of the fascinating political factors that are influencing the current day mommy wars. And so if you want to know how we can move beyond the mommy wars, the story of this tracing back to hunter-gatherer societies through biblical times, you know, through industrialization, all this really interesting stuff intertwined with my own story as a nursing mom, then, uh, you know, unlatched is for you. Uh, I just want to add here what Jennifer mentioned a moment ago, which was the formula guys have some of the best marketing minds in the world. And one thing that my good friend Linda Smith said to me years ago, and she's been on the show, she said, if uh, free ad- if free samples did not work, the formula industry would have stopped it a long time ago. And I just want to say everything that Jennifer is experiencing, uh, I've kind of lived through for pretty much as long as Jennifer has been alive, but she's totally right on point with so much of that. But of course, as usual, this hour goes way, way, way too fast. We only covered uh, a small fraction of what I think we could have covered, but I would so much like to thank Jennifer for being my guest today. Uh, Author, and expert on environmental issues, Jennifer Grayson, author of Unlatched, The Evolution of Breastfeeding and the Making of a Controversy. We will have that featured in our A store. So please take a look at that. And Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Marie. It's been such a pleasure. 
Likewise. And for those of you who are interested, please visit our website. It's www.borntobebreastfed.com. I assure you, I will have a blog about today's program. You might want to follow up on that. If you are a professional and you are looking for courses on how to become a lactation consultant, remember, I'm your source for evidence-based practice on the web and maybe in your city. You can find out about those courses at breastfeedingoutlook.com. I will repeat that. It's breastfeedingoutlook.com. Okay, everybody, that's all the time that we have today. I promise I will see you next week to bust the myths and clarify the facts. In the meanwhile, don't forget, connection matters. Your baby was born to be breastfed. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Born to be Breastfed. Please join Marie Biancuso next Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. This week, do its best for you and your baby. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.